You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. This one should be a very interesting one. It has been a long week, and I think it's been a, like, a, like a week and a half. I mean, obviously, the, the NFL draft and the Cavs are on the road, and there's a lot of struggles But um, for Chris and I. But the uh, there is a lot to talk about today. So I am Hayden Grove, your host, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor. And Chris, the Cavaliers lately... You know, I think it's a little less about what's going on in the wins and losses column at the at the time and in general for the Cavaliers this year. Um, but dur- specifically during this time, it's been very interesting. Kevin Love has mm-hmm. kind of been at the forefront of the news cycle in terms of the Cavaliers. Um, it all started when he basically uh, punched an inbound pass in into uh, uh, or towards a Raptors player. That that Raptors player passed it off, and they uh, hit a three pointer. Kevin Love looked dejected, and, and you know it, it kind of set off a lot of people on social media. So, going back to that, uh, <laughs> you wrote an article that soon after, basically saying, and you can go to all you can see all Chris's articles at Cleveland.com/slash/Cavs. The title of the article, um, as I search for it here, uh, was Kevin is supposed to be one of Cleveland Cavaliers leaders, which makes childish behavior even more unacceptable. And certainly uh, the behavior was not anything that he, um, you know, that he stood down from. But I just want to I want you to explain a little bit about, you know, what you wrote, why you wrote it and how you feel about that situation. I just think when you're talking about the situation that the Cavs are in, things are really hard at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about trying to figure out what matters most moving forward. And I think one of the things that matters most moving forward, Aiden, is that there is a positive culture, that the leaders can be guys that are counted on, that the Cavs have the right veterans around this young group that can nurture these guys, that can bring out the best in these guys. And when you see moments like that with Kevin – you start to wonder if you have the right people around this young group. When you see moments like that from Kevin, it takes away from some of the positives individually that you've seen from Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro and Colin Sexton and Jared Allen. The bottom line is, like, if the Cavs are going to take the next step as an organization, they cannot have this kind of behavior from one of their leaders, from one of the most important players in this locker room. Um, and, and here's the thing, like we can sit here and we can talk about um, Kevin's impact and, and whether he should be viewed as that kind of guy at this stage of his career um, and whether the Cavs were right to sign him to the massive contract extension, like all those things we can talk about. And I'm sure we're going to talk about. But here's the bottom line. The players in that locker room look up to Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. The players in that locker room like Kevin. He's a tone setter. He is a leader. Um, Darius Garland has spent the last month saying how much he loves Kevin. Kevin's a Hall of Famer. Kevin makes everything easier on me. Colin Sexton has talked about the relationship that he has built with Kevin, so much so that when Colin exits a game, the first person that he goes to talk to is Kevin. They talk about sets. They talk about what Colin could have done better what Kevin saw, what Colin saw, all those different things. That's the kind of guy 
that Kevin is to these young players. And that why, um, and that's why to me, his contract, his conduct that that game just in that moment against uh, the Toronto Raptors was so detrimental because the young guys who look up to him, the young guys who are so impressionable, saw their leader essentially check out, um, throw a temper tantrum and cost them a game. And that's not the kind of behavior that you can have um from a guy who has so much meaning and importance in the locker room. So, I mean, so after that, shortly after that, um, Kevin came out and for 13 minutes spoke on with the media, spoke on mm-hmm. Zoom and basically, uh, you know, owned up and said, I'm, you know, I'm not, that's not acceptable. It was an ugly moment. I'll take it on the chin. It wasn't me. It didn't come out of a bad place. Right. But the and I again, I think he, you know, handled that well. He said I literally the quote was that wasn't me. I effed up. Everybody knows that I love this team. I know that I effed up. I apologize for that. I don't go out there meaning to upset anybody. So I guess my question is this, you know, yes, like I think he responded well, and that's exactly what you want to hear from a veteran Mm -hmm. leader. That's what you want to hear. But why is this something that, you know, he said it didn't come from an ugly place, or he did, it didn't come from a bad place. And I can kind right. of see that. I can kind of agree with that. Yeah. My question is, like, when you say the young players are impressionable, like, can they see that, okay, can they use it as a learning moment, the way that Kevin kind of responded? Or are they just looking at that as, like, wow, our leader gave up gave up on this play, and, like, you know, that's going to leave a bad taste in our mouth? I mean, where, where do you think – they can look they can kind of gain anything from this gain like grow from this like i think that when i look at it i see obviously kevin love making a mistake i, I see kevin love not um you know not being the professional and the, and the leader that he's meant to be on this Cavaliers team but i also see you know that everybody's not perfect and and certainly sure. you're gonna have moments i mean I, to be fair um I'm, i don't know if lebron has ever gotten gone that far but i remember there were moments where lebron wasn't necessarily you know thrilled and and wasn't playing you know with and being the leader that he needed to be so i mean what 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 takeaways can you do you think that these young guys can take away from not only the moment um but from the response and then like what how can they take it positively if that's even a thing i don't know if they can to be honest with you um maybe they can um, maybe they can see a guy who admitted his failure, um, didn't dodge um, all the criticism that was coming his way, kind of took it head on and tried to move on from it. Maybe maybe they can take something from that. Um, and I, I think some of the things that he said prior to that Orlando game where he just addressed the situation without answering questions, I think some of the things that he said, Hayden, were right. Um, this wasn't the same thing as, you know, demanding the basketball from Colin Sexton and then firing it at Jetty Osman in the middle of a game. This wasn't the same thing as punching the bench and getting um, reprimanded by the organization, fined by the organization because of that outburst. Um, this wasn't a situation where, you know, he was um, publicly requesting a trade or something along those lines, right? Um, it seemed like and he said it himself, that his frustration stemmed from uh, the officiating from a very, very difficult season that he has had, both mentally and physically. Um, the frustration stemmed from the fact that the Cavs haven't won since he came back from injury when it looked like they were finally getting healthy, they were starting to turn the corner, they were going to make this big push for a play-in tournament, and instead they collapsed. So this wasn't like him arguing with Kobe Altman, him arguing with J.B. Bickerstaff, him firing a basketball at his teammate. And those things are true, right? But again, I keep going back to the main thing, and that's why my column focused on this specifically. There is a lot expected of Kevin, and he signed up for that responsibility. Whether he knew exactly what he was signing up for or not, he signed up for that responsibility. And... With that responsibility come expectations. And um, it's great that he can see his error 
He can see his mistake and he can apologize for it and he can try and move on from it. We're all going to do that. Um, but this kind of behavior is not healthy for an organization that is in this place that the Cavs are in. And it starts to make you wonder, and, and he can say that his teammates love him and they have said that they do, and he can say that he loves his teammates. It starts to make you wonder, the optics point to a guy who is unhappy in this situation, and you start to wonder if the Cavs are better off and Kevin Love is better off going their separate ways. That's exactly where I was going. Um, you know, we've talked for a long time about Kevin Love being traded. Kevin Love, you know, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's been the subject of trade talks for years since now. And it's not since he came, yeah. Yeah, like literally, yeah, since he came. And it's been now, what, six, seven years? And he's still here. Mm -hmm. And again, I think off the off the court, he's still doing great things for, you know, those and uh, those that he's trying to help in terms of mental health and mental illness. But on the court, it is just not it has not worked in, in pretty much any way, shape or form. And again, I think that's a little bit to do with, you know, with Kevin's injuries. I think it's a little bit to do with, you know, the, the kind of development of the young guys, the kind of lack of overall talent that they've kind of had or they've had since LeBron left. Like, I think there's a, a big part of it. So. Wait, can I stop you for a second? Because yeah. this is, I think this is part of the frustration within the organization. And I think this is part of my frustration and maybe even the fans' frustration. Mm -hmm. um, we have seen since Kevin came back from his injury, which was really, really tough on him, and he's not 100%. He's mm -hmm. not going to be 100% for the rest of this season. He may not be the same guy ever again in his career. He's 32 years old. He's got a ton of miles. He's a bigger guy. His body's been through a lot. His mind has been through a lot. So um, I don't know if if he can be the guy that he thinks he can be. I don't think his body will allow him to be that guy anymore. In saying that, I think this is what makes it so difficult. We have seen in the short stretch, Hayden, that he can be a positive. Mm -hmm. He can on the court and off the court. He can be a positive. There are just moments where it becomes too much for him. He lets his frustration get the best of him, and he willingly chooses to be a negative. And mm -hmm. that's what's so frustrating with this whole situation, because I do think on the court, he makes the Cavs better. Mm -hmm. He spaces the floor. He makes things easier on Darius Garland. He makes it easier on Colin Sexton. He takes pressure off of those guys. He takes the attention away from those guys that they usually have when he's not out there. And behind the scenes, he is a champion, right? He's a veteran. Yeah. He's been through a lot throughout the course of his career. And he can help these guys get through some of what they're dealing with. Because if you think about it, when Kevin came into the league, when he was drafted by Minnesota, they were in the middle of a rebuild. Things weren't going well. He had to lean on veterans to kind of get through that. So he's experienced what Darius and Colin and Isaac are now going through. Right. And that's what I think makes this whole situation with Kevin so complicated. Because on the one hand, you can look at him and you can say, yes, that guy can be a positive for this organization. He can be an asset. He's somebody that makes sense to have around at this stage. Maybe not at this stage of his career, but at this stage of where Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okora, Jared Allen are, Kevin can benefit those guys greatly. And then on the other hand, you say, well, this guy is a detriment at times because he can't keep it together, because he has these mood swings, because he has these temper tantrums. And these guys look at him and they start to wonder, well, if Kevin's going to act like that, what the hell am I doing? You know what I mean? Um, so... And on top of that, like, there is no simple solution to move on from Kevin. So it's it's a no-win situation, essentially, for the organization. Um, and that's another thing that I think makes this whole situation so frustrating.
Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating from the the, the, the bottom up. I mean, just everything. There's Because, like you said, there's no easy fix here. I mean, again, I think the... <laughs> The easiest fix is winning, but again, that's uh, that's yeah. I mean, they're harder. not equipped to win right now. No, they're not, especially with all the injuries that they've had and Colin being out. And yeah, you're right. They they don't have, um, they don't have what they need to be winning games on a consistent level. Um, and I just think that, that like looking at it from a, an outsider's perspective, it's like, um, you know, we used to have kind of access to the locker rooms. We used to have the ability to kind of like gauge you know what's you know what how more so how the guys are feeling how they're doing because you're seeing them in person you're not just seeing them on a screen and you're you know you're getting their body language whatever so now like we don't have that ability so anything we see in terms of like negatives you know that that just is so much more glaring it just comes out so much more like it's it's so much more obvious and so much more like um jarring i guess so i guess my point in all of that is from from my perspective it's like you know, it seems as though that Kevin, again, it seems as though, yes, he's frustrated and yes, he has his moments, but like, but I mean, through all the, you know, through what we've heard, he's just, his teammates still love him and his teammates still care about him and that, that kind of thing. And that's, I think that goes a long way as well. But also, um, I think it goes to show that like, you know, behind the scenes, the things we're not seeing, maybe he is um, a little better than we're giving him credit for just because we can't see, you know, what is going in day in and day out. Like, obviously his teammates wouldn't say, Oh, we love him. We're, we're with him. If he was mm-hmm. just, you know, acting a fool 24 mm-hmm. seven. No, I think so, that's fair. Yeah. No, it's, and it's just like, but and that's, again, that's kind of painting in a positive light, but differently it's like, um, you know, the, the losing is, is the bottom line, is that they just they don't he's he's supposed to be helping on the court and he can and he and he does to, from time to time. But like the more they lose, the more it just looks like and to getting back to where we were going, the more it looks like an eventual departure would be probably just the best thing for both of them. Because while, yes, Kevin would make the Cavaliers or Kevin does make the Cavaliers better on the court. Um, they're just not putting it together with him on there. And maybe that's a lack of time together. Maybe that's a lack of. Uh, you know, continuity with injuries with both to him and to the guys around him. Um, so my question to you would be, if like, say this offseason, if they, if they plan to part ways, how do you think it would happen? What do you think the Cavaliers would have to do to kind of find a guy like that could not ultimately, maybe not replace him, but like give them, you know, maybe even close to the production that Kevin would. I mean, how would this thing go in your mind if at this season's end, the Cavaliers and Kevin said, hey, I think it's just for the best for everybody to move on. Cleveland, love you. Thank you so much. But, um, you know, it, it's it's a little frustrating and, and it's time to go. It's easier said than done, Hayden. Right, of course. Like, you can lay out all of the options, right? You can say buyout. You can right. say wave and stretch. You can say uh, trade. Which one of those is realistic? Not many, if any. That's the thing. And, like, which one of those is beneficial to the Cavs? Obviously, a trade would be if they got something back in return. But we've talked about this a number of times. Yeah. The view of Kevin and the view uh, the view of Kevin around the league and the view of Kevin within the organization is very, very different. So the rest of the NBA is telling the Cavs, we're doing you a favor by taking Kevin. You give us something. You give us a draft pick. In this stage of a rebuild, with somebody who on the court the Cavs still feel like can be an asset, what what sense does it make for this team to give up a draft pick in order to get rid of Kevin Love? Zero. Absolutely Very not. little. And then the contract that they would take back in return for Kevin is going to be awful mm-hmm. just because you have to match the number. And it's right around $30 million. So a trade is really complicated from that perspective. And then if you want to talk about a buyout, he's got $60 million. I mean, if you waive him, you pay him the $60 million left on his contract and you just let him play elsewhere. Yeah. It's doubtful. Yeah. Right? So if you buy him out, if you come to some kind of agreement between Kevin, Kevin's agent, and the organization that a buyout is the way to go, like, 
how much is he going to give back? Right. Probably not a lot. And and the only way that it would make sense is if he does give back a lot. Otherwise, right. it's still going to be burdensome for the Caps. Um, right. You're paying for without any production, any like anything. Yeah. So like. Blake Griffin had 74 million left on his contract with Detroit. He gave back 13 million. Then he signed with Brooklyn. Um, the Cavs did the buyout with Andre. If you remember that, mm-hmm. his contract was like 28.7 million. Uh, the Cavs agreed to pay like all of that, essentially, except for like $800,000, something along those lines, I believe it was. Um, so, like, yeah, there are cap advantages to a buyout if you stretch him. But I know that there are multiple people inside the organization that do not want to do that. Um, because that money would be stretched over five years, and then that would um, affect potentially what the Cavs could do with the roster for the next five years. Yeah. So it's just like none of these options are very good. And I think the Cavs understand that. So um, if they move on from Kevin, it would be the organization taking the best of bad options. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Is there a scenario in which, I mean, (laughs) it seems so like, you know, just because the, because the like, all these optics are so bad. It's like bad, you know, in in a lot of different ways. Like obviously, Kevin, it was a bad moment. It was bad optic. But then, you know, you look at the Cavaliers. I mean, maybe you agree. Maybe you'll disagree. You can you can say your piece. I mean, to not do anything, like maybe internally they did, but not to not do anything publicly. They weren't um, going to do anything publicly. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, do, do you agree that maybe? I just I would think that after something like that, I understand, I understand that Kevin's a veteran, and I understand that like, you know. But as you said, um, you know, it's 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 something that they can't you know continue to let hard to have happen for the Cavaliers because of you know these young impressionable guys. Do you think that a that a you know something publicly would have kind of um, been appropriate? I mean, to, to say, hey, we're going to find you this amount. We're going to, you know, suspend you for a game. We're going to whatever. Like, just to say something. And instead, it kind of just, they, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff said, we'll deal with it internally. And that was that. Do you think it would have sent a message if they would have done something publicly to not only, maybe not so much to Kevin, but to the other guys around the team? No, because, like, the other guys around the team know what the Cavs did. Yeah. So the only people that you appease by doing that publicly, and maybe there's merit to this, the only people that you appease is the fan base. Yeah. The frustrated fan base. Yeah. And the fan base is frustrated, no doubt, um, in a lot of different ways. And that's why, you know, we have to ask these questions because, you know, that's, I mean, (laughs) for all intents and purposes, and I know that, you know, the the goal of any franchise isn't to appease the fans 24-7, Mm-hmm. But it's to make them – it it is a fan-based – it's a fan-driven league. And without fans, the, the players don't make half the money they make. The You know, the, it doesn't mean as much. So, I mean, obviously fans are a part of it. And, I mean, what would you – I mean, if you say – I mean, you see a lot of fans on Twitter and, and on social media kind of, you know, coming after Kevin. I mean, I just – what would – like, what would your outlook be – from you know from a different like can i don't even know if you can put yourself there because you you're so close with this team you've been covering this team i mean can you put yourself in a situation where you're looking at it like if you were not in your job i mean how would you look at this would you look at it like get kevin out of here would you look at it like um you know like this is a cavaliers problem they've had problems with you know uh kevin porter jr they've had problems with andre drummond now they have problems with kevin like how would you approach that if you can? If you can, I'd get it. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, I think you can look at general manager Kobe Altman and say that, you know, one of his flaws has been um, dealing with these kinds of off-the-court situations. 
um, that that may start on the court and then carry off the court and behind the scenes and trying to figure out how to manage conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Because the general manager's job is it runs deep. It's not just scouting players. It's not just putting together a roster that fits. It's not just hiring the right coach. It is about managing personalities. It is about communicating. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is some truth to the idea that Kobe Altman hasn't been great in terms of uh, managing conflict. Um, but there's another side to this too, Aiden. And and I yeah. think it, it can't be avoided. If we're going to talk about this fairly and in context, um, Andre Drummond was considered malcontents too far. Um, but there were people around the NBA who said that Andre Drummond floated throughout games and floated throughout seasons and when things didn't go his way, he um, checked out. Uh-huh. That was his reputation coming to Cleveland. Uh-huh. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. fell to 30 in the first round of a draft where he was probably one of the five most talented players in the 2019 class. Mm-hmm. Uh, 29 teams had an opportunity to draft him and chose not to, despite the fact that he's oozing with potential and despite the fact that he's unbelievably talented Mm -hmm. and then when the Cavs um decided to move on from KPJ uh, 28 other teams had an opportunity to trade for him give up something in order to get him and one was interested um J.R. Smith has been a knucklehead since he stepped into the NBA uh Kevin Love had not the greatest reputation when he came from Minnesota to Cleveland. So again, if we're going to do this fairly and we're going to talk about Kobe and how he's got to be better and how this organization has to be better, I think we also have to recognize that the players that have been problems, the players that the Cavs have had problems with, were all those kinds of guys to begin with. Mm -hmm. Detroit had a problem with Drummond. How many organizations had a problem with J.R. Smith? Kevin Porter Jr. is well documented. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like, you know, they're having these kinds of issues with Colin Sexton and Isaac Okoro and Darius Garland and, 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 right? Yeah. I guess my, I guess my, I think, I think the, the big, the big overall picture question that I have is that Obviously, Kobe wants to build a culture of accountability, a good, mm-hmm. like a good culture. And I think, you know, obviously he wants the guys to, to, you know, buy into that culture and act professionally and be, you know, be great, you know, on the court, off the court all the time. Like that's the, that's a, any GM's dream is to have, you know, a, a, a roster full of guys that are stand up guys, good guys that are going to, you know, not, you know, not be knuckleheads, as you said, or not be, you know, whatever, not, not cause distractions. But, but. You look at around the NBA, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that these are all. I'm just saying that a lot of uh, winning can cure a lot of ills. Sure. So I guess my big picture question: having the right people in the locker room can cure a lot of ills too. Yes, exactly. Like having the right leaders to manage these kinds of situations. Right, and that's what that's what I think about when I think about the Cavs bringing in Richard Jefferson, Channing Frye. Like those are the two guys that really kind of like helped to write that ship in a lot of ways because not that it was going to go off the rails completely, but it was, you know, there were times where, I mean, I think Kevin, I think LeBron have said it multiple times that Channing coming in and and RJ coming in kind of like brought them together and, uh, and helped them out. But my question is like, at what point, you know, at what point is it about putting the best talent on the court possible regardless? And what point is it about putting the best guys in the locker room, like where it, there, I, in my opinion, there's got to be a little bit of a balance between like, okay, we can deal with a little bit of headache if this guy's going to produce for us, or we can, you know, we can deal with uh, like, like for instance, J.R. Smith at the beginning, you know, the, or, mm-hmm. this is a guy that we can deal with his headaches a little bit because he's going to help us on the floor. Like, I don't think the Cavaliers, and maybe you'll disagree with me on this. I don't think the Cavaliers have ever since, since LeBron left the first time, Excuse me, the second time. Um, I don't think the Cavaliers have ever put, like, the on-court product talent above, like, the culture. 
And maybe that's something that Kobe wants to do, or maybe that's Kobe's MO is to just culture first. But I think there's at some point there's got to be like a little balance there. And I just so, don't think there really has been. So, Hayden, I think that's painting with a broad brush. Yeah. I think when it comes to anybody that has any kind of baggage or any kind of um, that could be a problem for an organization, I think you always ask yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah. Is what you're getting on the court enough for you to deal with the constant headaches that you may have to deal with? And um, how powerful are those headaches, for a lack of a better term? Sure. Like, everybody is different, right? So, like, I don't think you can say, all right, well, Kevin Love and Andre Drummond and Jarrah Smith and Kevin Porter Jr., let's put them in the same category. Because I don't think that's fair because they're all different and they all have a different level of baggage that they're carrying with them. That's very true. I would not put them in the same. Right, right, right. They also have a different level of talent that they're carrying with them. So uh, they also have different contracts that they're carrying with them. So I just think like so many things when we're having this conversation are circumstantial and everybody wants black and white, right? Like yeah. culture or talent, culture or talent. It's not that simple. Um, life isn't black and white. Basketball's not black and white. Business isn't black and white. There's a lot of gray area involved. Right, that's life, yeah. That's life. And and I think that's why when having these kinds of conversations, um, you have to take each individual. You have to take the Drummond situation for itself. You have to take the Kevin Porter Jr. situation for itself. Kevin Love, same thing. J.R. Smith, same thing, right? Because I think the Cavs are leaning more on culture right now um, because, one, they feel like that's something that they need to establish with this young, impressionable group. Two, because they're not in a situation where winning is everything. And, yes, winning matters. And everybody in that locker room and everybody in the organization wants to win. It's not the only thing that matters. They're not the Denver Nuggets here where um, they're trying to capitalize on Nikola Jokic being an MVP candidate and winning is going to take precedent over like everything else. You know what I mean? Um, So I think the Cavs are trying to balance like a little bit of everything. And if they thought the Kevin Porter Jr. situation was one that was going to work, then they would have continued to stick by him. They would have kept him here in this organization. Um, If they thought the Andre Drummond situation um, was going to work with both him and Jared Allen, maybe they wouldn't have gone the direction of a buyout. Maybe they wouldn't have um, sat him down while looking for a trade. You know what I mean? So I just think like all these situations are very, very different. And I don't know that I can sit here and say for sure that the Cavs are picking culture over talent and they're going to continue to pick culture over talent in every single decision that they make moving forward. No, I I certainly get that. I certainly get that, you know, I'm just saying, you know, maybe in the future that's going to be less of the case. But but as there's there's another thing here, too, what when I think when you're talking about culture versus talent. Um, a big reason why the Cavs could bring or out even, some of the, or even not so much talent, just like, I mean, yes, talent, but like winning, you know, like, and, and I guess talent equates to winning. If you have a lot of talent, you're probably going to win a lot. So if you think about the LeBron years, right? Yeah. A big reason why the Cavs were able to bring in some of those bigger personalities is because they had LeBron. Yeah. LeBron was the guy who could handle those personalities he could get through to those guys he had the cachet to kind of keep everybody in check right who currently in this organization at this stage can do that i mean you would hope that kevin love could do something right but here's the problem he's one of the guys that's becoming at times a problem momentarily yes even if it's in a moment, right? And right. there have been many moments throughout the course of the last couple of years. And I understand frustration, right? We're all human. 
basketball is an emotional game. But but if they don't believe their locker room lieutenant can like set that tone and and be the good example and be the guy that like keeps everybody in line, like it's really, really hard for this organization then to be like, yeah, we're going to bring this big personality or this guy with baggage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do understand. I guess. Like if they had Chris Paul here, if Chris Paul was like one of the leaders, maybe situations with some of these other guys don't happen or maybe they're easier to handle. But they don't have Chris Paul. They don't have Chris Paul. No. They don't have LeBron here anymore. No, they don't. That's kind of something that I mean, I don't I think about this and I I don't mean to like switch teams, but you know, in covering the Indians a little bit, I I think that I see like at least with Kevin, that's a guy who's like in a stat like he's won a championship, he's a veteran, like he should be a leader. And I and I think a lot of times he probably is. And, you know, I think a lot of times he probably is, you know, sometimes, but obviously, you know, the biggest times that he's not are the ones that are going to votes vocal. But like, you know, I look at the Indians and I don't see like a leader on that team. I don't, I don't see anyone who like has, mm-hmm. has anywhere near the Kevin Love cachet even, even, you know, much less LeBron. So I think leadership is so important. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason that the Cavaliers have struggled is because obviously they just haven't had the opportunity to have, um, to bring in uh, another leader. You know, Kevin has been their leader just because, again, he's been around, um, but he's been hurt a lot of the time, and a lot of these other guys are young. And I think that all of that, I mean, all of that kind of plays into the culture thing is like, you know, how much of a culture can you have if you don't really, if you have a leader who, again, has lapses from time to time and, you know, isn't, you know, super consistent. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at least with the Cavaliers, with LeBron, if if it wasn't always consistent um like on the court if you did have a lapse then off but you knew off the court you know everything the the work was going to be put in and there was going to be no like you know he just he was a captain of the ship regardless so um i think obviously with the culture thing in cleveland right now with kevin it's like you know he's had his tips with colin he's had his tips you know with with certain guys and um i think the leadership you're right i think that's a big part of it is that you know, as much as Kevin is, is trying to be a leader, it's just, it's not at the same level, I, I don't believe. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's also a situation, and I think we we can all understand this, maybe even empathize with it. Well, maybe not, because we're not in the situation. We're not dealing with the losses the same kind of way. Right. Um, but, like, <laughs> yeah, it's hard for somebody like him who competed four straight years for NBA championships to then shift into rebuild mode, just like that. Yeah, especially when he was told it wasn't rebuild mode. Well, he probably (laughs) should have been smart enough to realize that and see it. Um, But yeah, you're right. Um, At the same time, like, they just lost LeBron. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a, at this point, at this point now, especially, I mean, you looked at that roster and you thought, okay, there's still some guys, but I mean, with, uh, we're, we're at the point now after two LeBron departures that we know what's going to happen. And we knew with the, with the heat, I mean, you know, when he left with the heat, it's been three LeBron departures, actually, when you look at it, you know, we know what happens when LeBron leaves, um, you know, because when you're, when LeBron's with you, you put all your cards in that basket and you go for it. And then, you know, once he's gone, you're kind of sitting there like, okay, you know, what do we do now? Well, how are we going to try to compete without the best player to ever play the game? Um, right. it's, it's difficult, but I mean, I rebuilds are hard. They're hard on everybody. It's hard on Kobe Altman. It's hard on JV Bickerstaff. It's hard on Matthew Della Vadova. It's hard on Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. They're hard on everybody. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think they're probably a little bit tougher on veterans because Kevin probably sees the end. 32 years old, body breaking down, yeah. not the same player that he once was. These are probably the final years of his career. Um, he was traded to Cleveland in 2014, had an opportunity to compete for four straight championships. Thought that's that was kind of like the way out of Minnesota when he was so frustrated in Minnesota because they couldn't get over that hump, they couldn't get to the playoffs. 
and him and I have talked about this a few different times. He called it going from from that that era of Cavs basketball with LeBron to this rebuild a mind f, and yep. and I get it. I definitely get it. Um, but to bring this full circle, like there's only one dude who hasn't been able to keep it together. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's where it becomes tougher to not justify or defend, but to give him more of a pass. Right. I understand that. I understand it's more difficult as time goes on to give him a pass. Like, Um, Colin Sexton isn't doing stuff like that, right? Right. Like, Darius Garland hasn't done stuff like that. Um, Matthew Delvadova hasn't done stuff like that. Uh, Right. Nobody. and, And Andre Drummond, as, like, Weird as things got with him, and he did disengage in the Portland game. He absolutely did, and he was disruptive to what they were doing offensively and defensively. Even he hasn't stomped towards a teammate, grabbed a basketball, and whipped it at another teammate, right? Even he hasn't, like, punched a ball inbounds when it was a two-possession game. And I know it was a lapse in judgment, and Kevin said, like, he wasn't trying to inbound the ball. He wasn't trying to put it back in play. Um for all these things that you can say, like for the last couple of years, one guy has been at the center of, I don't know if drama is the right, right word, but I can't come up with another one. And that's what makes it frustrating. Right. Um, speaking of the play, and I, don't, I mean, this still has to do with Kevin. I mean, the other night, I mean, we've never seen this in, the, in, in his career. Um, no shots taken by Kevin Love. Yeah, that was um, weird. Was that him trying to? I mean, was do you think there was a message there? Do you think it was just a a product of the game? I mean, you know, this is a guy who can score twenty five points, who can, um, who can be, you know, really, really offensively um, productive and helpful. So, um, I mean, what what do you what did you make of the no no shots in that game? Yeah, it was bizarre. I think it was also an anomaly. Um, Like, do I think that he was sending a bit of a message, whatever message it was? Yes, I do think there was some of that. Do I think he was, I don't know if pouting is the right word. I think there was some of that. I also think it was hard for him to get a shot off that night. They were crowding him. They weren't giving him a lot of space. It's not like they were playing zone the way that Miami was. It's not like Washington was playing a pack-the-paint defense the way that Miami was. So I think there were some circumstances attached to it. I also think it has been, and we have seen, it's it's harder for him to create space to get a shot open cleanly at this stage of his career. You know, how many times, even when he first came back, Hayden, have we seen him, you know, pump fake? second guess, hesitate. There's been a lot of that. And I think part of that is the fact that he doesn't have a lot of space out there to get his shot off. He isn't able to create as much space as he used to. Uh, There is a lot of defensive attention on him, which is a good thing for Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro and some of these other guys. Um, So I think there are a lot of things involved with that, but it was really, really bizarre. I mean, the next night he goes out and scores, or he, the next game against the Heat, he goes out and scores 25 points. I mean, you know. Yeah, his up- best scoring night of the year. Right. So, I mean, again, I, maybe this is something that I guess he could, you know, <laughs> this whole, I'm sure for him, I mean, honestly, if, if we're being honest about this, like, do you think he's like, I just, I, I don't understand why, like, this keeps, like, why I get, like, do you think when he says all the things that he says publicly, I believe, I believe him. I believe he says when he says like, oh, I'm, 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 um, you know, I'm, I'm taking this on the head on because I'm, you know, I'm a veteran. I'm better than this. But do you think for a second that maybe somewhere along the line, he's like, you know, I, some of these things get way way blown out of proportion. And like, he's got to be frustrated with kind of like the fact that, you know, as you said, I mean, yes, not, nobody else is really, you know, pulled any or not pulled anything, but has, has ever had like a moment like he's had. But it seems like some of the moments are bigger, some of the moments are smaller. But it seems like he just gets the full on, you know, the full on brunt of the matter. And do you think he feels that way behind the scenes that maybe sometimes it's not necessarily always fair to, you know, 
with some of the with a lot of the good things he's done to focus on only these really bad spots. First of all, I don't think people are focusing only on these things. I think it's part of the narrative. Um, at the same time, like, yeah, I do think he kind of hinted at this. Honestly, if you if you think back to his 13 minute session with with the media the other day, um, he was going down a road of where he was trying to say that it was blown out of proportion. Right. He was going down a road where he was. I'm trying to find the quote. There it is. Whatever was said outside of it was a way big, bigger deal than, and then he stopped himself, and then he said, I know that I effed up. Because yeah. it was too early into his apology or into his address to start saying that it was blown out of proportion or people were making a bigger deal out of it than it needed to be. Um, I think he recognized that first and foremost, he had to own up to it he had to talk about making mistake. He had to talk about being better. But you could tell in that address that, yes, he thought it was blown out of proportion. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to bring this up uh, because it's something that, you know, has come up before. And it kind of it, it does involve Colin or it does involve Kevin. Um, uh, our pal over at The Athletic, Joe Varden, wrote a piece about the Kevin Love situation and uh, basically, um, you know, had his thoughts and, you know, we won't get into them because, you know, we're going to focus on Cleveland.com stuff. But he did write that, you know, people are still, you know, they're still not necessarily in love with Colin, you know, teammates in terms of his on the floor thing. Now, if you have if you are if you know differently or if you feel differently, that's that's fine. But do you believe that? I mean, do you think that there's still any kind of, you know, that, that maybe Kevin and Colin aren't 100%, you know, still in line and, you know, Kevin's still a little bit frustrated with Colin, even if he's a good teammate, even if, you know, that even if, you know, he tries to help Colin as much as possible, which I, I, I think that he does. Do you think that they're still not like 100% connected and in streamline there? First of all, I have no idea if the player that Joe was referring to was Kevin Love. I don't, I don't right. want to make that leap. It's right, not my no, place to make absolutely. that leap. No. Um, I'll say this when it comes but I, but to But I Colin. do know, but but we do know, but we do know, that the only reason I brought Kevin up was because we do know that they, um, that that Kevin, had, you know, and Colin have, there has been some friction there in the past. Sure. I'll say this about Colin. Um, I think stylistically he can be hard to play with. Mm -hmm. I think you can also say that about a number of different players in the NBA. Yes. Um, beyond that, I just think the criticism is unbelievably unwarranted. We've talked oh. about this before, mm -hmm. um, about, about Colin's playing style. Uh, can he be better in terms of involving his teammates? Sure. Of course he can. Has he made strides in that area in terms of decision-making in terms of passing? Yes, absolutely. He has. He's 22 years old. He doesn't have it all figured out. He's 22 years old. He's still trying to become the player that he's going to become in the future. Um, when Darius Garland is out, Colin Sexton's uh, passing percentage goes up. His assist rate goes up. He takes on a different kind of role. Um, the Cavs need him to score. So that's what he does while scoring efficiently as one of the most efficient young scorers in the NBA. He's also averaging a career high in assists. So, yeah, I mean, I think stylistically he can be difficult to play with. Stylistically, he does dominate possessions. Stylistically, he does pound the ball a little bit too much for fans at times, probably too much for the coaching staff at times, probably too much for the front office at times, probably too much for his teammates at times. Um, but But I don't think it's to a point where like one of these guys has to go, right? Right. Um, I don't think it's to a point where the Cavs are never going to be able to make positive strides as an offense because of these things with Colin. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I, I just think the criticism for a 22-year-old kid who is 
basically top 20 in scoring, averaging a career high in assists, and um, and is one of the most efficient young scorers in the NBA is borderline ridiculous. So um, Colin kind of had some response to the criticism, I believe. So here's and the I- thing, too. I want to I point this out. Uh, yeah. We didn't ask him about the criticism today right. until he brought it up. He was asked specifically about the team laying a foundation and evaluating where everything is now. Because, you know, that's part of what we're following. That's part of what we're chronicling is the beginning of the season to the end of the season. The growth that this organization is making, the growth that these individuals are making. So he was asked about laying a foundation evaluating where this organization is now and where he feels like there has been the most growth from one to 15 inside this organization. And he answered that by saying, I would say embodying criticism and embodying like when your teammate is pretty much trying to get on you and picking and choosing like, all right, there's a message behind all of everything. Um, but that wasn't like a specific question about criticism or addressing criticism. But once he brought that up, then we obviously followed up with different things about that. Right. But I think, I mean, you know, he, I think he handled it. I mean, the, the kid gets it. I, I really do believe that. I think the kid understands and he, he does. I think he's, he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think that he really, you know, he's got, you know, he's going to, I think he's going to end up a very successful guy because I think he's got a good attitude. Um, and, I think he what he said was kind of like, you know, I've heard the criticisms before. My my job is to, you know, here is not to run away from the criticism. My job is to, you know, face the criticisms head on and, and work to get better and to be better. And I think that's an awesome way to look at it. And um, I was just really impressed with the way he's handled it because again, it's you know, he's he's faced criticisms from like you said, like like from you know from people around the league, from you know, fans from, you know, maybe even his own teammates. Like, Mm -hmm. but I think I love the fact that he's able to say, all right, you know, I hear it. I'm not running away from the fact I hear it and I want to go and I try to go, you know, prove people wrong and do and do what I need to do to to make sure those criticisms get less and less over time. I think that's, you know, a great quality for him to have. I also think it's it's how he handles it. Right. As you mentioned, it's does he take those things personally from his teammates, right? Or does he just look at it as them saying, well, we're trying to make you better. We're trying to make you see something that maybe you don't see. Um, And I think that's all part of the growth of Colin Sexton and a lot of these young guys is recognizing that some of the criticism from, if it's Larry Nance Jr., if it's Kevin Love, if it's Torian Prince, if it's Jared Allen, it's coming from the same place with the same end goal of trying to make us a better basketball team and you a better basketball player. So if he takes it as that, right, if Darius Garland takes it as that, if Isaac Okoro takes it as that, I think that can be healthy for a culture. I think that can be healthy for an organization and a young player. Absolutely. Um, I do want to, because we are, I mean, we're, we're coming up in an hour here, but I, I, we've had a, we've had a, you know, it's been a conversation that, you know, it's a, it's not, it's not a difficult one. We're talking about sports, but um, it's not, you know, one of the, one of the easiest things to talk about, but, but during the midst of this podcast, um, the Cavaliers were granted, according to the Associated Press, um, were granted the um, hardship um, exception to bring in uh, a guy who <laughs> who Clevelanders and you reported on this last week saying that there were issues and, and you know it wasn't necessarily imminent that it was going to happen right away because the Cavaliers had to um, bring in or had to apply for this hardship exception and whatnot they're going to bring in Anderson Verigel, mm-hmm. um beloved Cavalier for many years left uh, after I believe the first year of LeBron and I just, when I first saw the move, the news, my my jaw just like hit the floor. Like I was just like, "What on earth? Where did this come from? How? Why? What? Like, do you have Chris? I mean, obviously this isn't a move that's like, hey, Andy's really going to help us win games towards. Like, come on, they, that can't be the thought here. No. But do you have any kind of 
insight as to like why slash how this went down? I mean, did the Cavaliers see like, oh, he's playing well in Brazil. We can just bring him in to, to end his career. Or was Andy like, hey, you know, I'd really love to come back to Cleveland just to, to, to say thank you to the fans. I mean, how did this kind of do you have any any insight on how this thing kind of came to fruition? Andy has always wanted to retire a Cavalier. Yeah, of course. So you start there. Um, the Cavs had an opportunity potentially to add an extra roster spot through the hardship exception. And this gives them an opportunity and it gives Andy an opportunity for the proper send-off, I guess. Because as of right now, his last NBA game was played with the Golden State Warriors. And yeah. It wasn't a special moment at all. Nobody knew that it was his last game. It was early February or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So this gives him an opportunity to end his career the right way. And it gives the Cavs an opportunity to bring, you know, somebody who spent 12 years here and did some really, really great things here. Gives the Cavs an opportunity to bring him back and give him the proper send-off. I do know that they had been trying to think about ways to honor Andy, and he didn't want to come back in a capacity of, like, we're bringing him back to honor him for one night, right? We'll give him a video tribute, we'll give him a luxury box, and we'll bring him back to the arena. Because he was still playing basketball. Because he was playing um, in Brazil. So Andy didn't want that kind of ceremony, from what I know. Andy didn't want that kind of ceremony while he was still playing basketball. Um, So the Cavs decided to go a different direction and they started thinking about other ways to honor him. And then this opportunity presented itself. They fell out of contention for the play-in tournament. They had a whole bunch of injuries. And then they decided this is something that they wanted to do. I mean, it really is awesome. Like, you know, Andy, I mean... (laughs) And he was like one, a beloved, beloved Cavalier. Just absolutely yeah. like, I mean, I don't think you've, I don't think I've ever spoken to one person in this, in my entire life that has ever had, I mean, it, well, <laughs> let, let me, let me back that up. Uh, opposing fans of Anderson Varejao had many <laughs> negative things to say about Anderson Varejao. Because he's um, a pest. Exactly. He was the guy that you did not want to play against because right. he just was a pest and he would, you know, he just, you know, annoy you to all get out. But in Cleveland and fans of the Cavaliers and and anybody who generally had as spoken any or as as met him or anything has always had the most great, nothing but great things to say about Andy. So I think it's awesome that he's getting this opportunity, Chris. I just was like completely shocked just because I think it was the just the time away from the NBA that I was like, wow, like, first of all, he's older. Second of all, he's been away from the NBA for so long. Third of all, like, how would this even happen? Like. I mean, I give I give credit to the Cavs for for finding a way, and if they wanted to do it, I mean, that's that's pretty awesome, and it, it does give Andy the send off that he that he needs and he wants, and uh, um, it should be exciting to see uh, Anderson Verja back on the floor, and and maybe again, who knows if he's going to play many if any minutes, but I'm sure he'll find a way into a game, and I think that's pretty awesome and exciting to see. Um, number 17 back in the Cavaliers uniform. I think that'll be um, really, really interesting. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it's not like they were going to release Damian Dotson to sign Andy to this ceremonial 10-day contract or something along those lines, right? They needed to get this hardship exception. Um, This means that Matthew Dellavedova's season is likely over. This means that Larry Nance Jr.'s season is likely over. Mm -hmm. Um, And Torian Prince and Dylan Windler were already out. So the timing of their uh, injuries, as as bad as they were, because it certainly affected the Cavs on the court because they were playing Fiondu, Gavin Gelly, and Broderick Thomas, and Jeremiah Martin. Like, that's the bench that the Cavs have right now. I don't know how you're supposed to win games in the NBA like that. You know, you're playing guy 17, 16, 15, 14, as if they're 6, 7, 8, and 9. Like, right. come on. Um so the timing worked out for the Cavs to be able to get the hardship exception and be able to do something that they wanted to do for Andy. So as currently, currently the Cavaliers um, are, so tomorrow would be their, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They have eight games left in the schedule. 
um, and that would be 13 days um, from now is when their season will end. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think the contract would start? Do you think it would be a 10-day deal and it would start around? It has the, to be a 10-day deal. Yeah, yeah that's the so only thing that they can do with a hardship exception. So it wouldn't. So he wouldn't return. He wouldn't officially be signed till like the Thursday, the sixth. I mean, I was told to start with the end of the season, the finale of the regular season, and work your way backwards 10 days from that. So right. whatever that math comes out to. That would be May 6th. So Sunday, May 16th is the last Cavs game. They'll be in Brooklyn taking on the Nets. That would mean the last Cavaliers game at home would be May 12th. So 12th, that, would yeah. be, that would be Andy's last game against the Celtics in Cleveland. Um, but, yes, yeah, so they play, the, they play the Nets on the 16th. So Andy would probably first be eligible to be on with the team in an official capacity on Friday, May 7th, when they take on the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas. Sure. If that's the math, if that's how the math comes out, I'll trust you on that. One. That That is how the math comes out. <laughs> I, and I'm not good at math, but I'm, but I swear to God, May 7th is a Friday. <laughs> and the last game of the season is May 16th, 10 days from May 7th would be May 17th. So that would be the first game he'd be eligible and then, um, so he, they only play three. They play three home games in a row. They play the home game on. They play the Cavalier, or they play the Mavericks again on Sunday, May 9th. They play the Pacers on Monday, May 10th, and then on Wednesday, May 12th, they play the, the Boston Celtics. So, Andy's homecoming should be a three, uh, three game uh, set starting Sunday, May 9th here in Cleveland. So an awesome story. I mean, honest, I mean, I haven't really looked, do you know? I mean, is he like playing, playing in, in Brazil or is he kind of? I just, have no idea. no idea. He's not going to be playing, playing here. So no, well, no. I mean, he's going to get minutes. You'd think it's not like right. they have anybody else. They right. practiced earlier today and they yeah. had to use coaches. Yeah. So Oof. that they could run five on five and stuff like that. So they are injury. That's, that's the situation that they're in right now. They are injury riddled for sure. They, are, yeah. I mean, it's just it's been a tough end of the season in a lot of different ways, and with the frustration, you know, hopefully this off season will be one where they can just, you know, look back and, and big off season. Yeah, say it again. It's a big off season. Yeah, huge off season for a lot of different reasons. But it looks like they're going to be in the lottery once again, which is going to help um, if you get a really good top pick and they need some luck. So. Um, we've talked about that. They don't. They have not had a lot of luck over the last couple of years. They need some lottery luck. They need some injury luck, and um, and then we can start talking about next season. But for the time being, um, Cavaliers again have only about 13 days, about two weeks left of their season. So um, they're going to hobble into the end, uh, just given the injuries that they have um, and and the things that have been going on. But um, you should still. Again, sign up for Chris's subtext, three ninety nine a month. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. You will um, be prompted to see a blue uh, banner at the top of the page. Chris will send you all sorts of insight and news and analysis and uh, and all that he's hearing from within the organization. So be sure to uh, sign up for Chris's subtext. Again, three ninety nine a month, 14-day free trial when you sign up. And again, this is a huge offseason, so what better time to do it than now when the Cavaliers are going to enter a crucial, crucial time in their franchise um, to maybe get this thing turned around once again? Because, again, it has not been there to this point since LeBron left, uh, and they certainly need to start turning around. But, Chris, until then, anything else that you want to uh, say or discuss? No, man, I'm good. No, it's. I mean, I, I apologize if my thoughts were a little jumbled there. It's just like it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about. I mean, it's just like because I have thoughts on both ways. I mean, obviously, I see the you know the good things that Kevin brings. I see the you know the fact that you can't have those you know mental lapses and those um, you know especially as a leader, you kind of got you're held to a higher standard. So it's uh, it's just difficult to to kind of address, and it's difficult. And I think that's why everybody's like, all right. You know, let's just move forward with this. Let's uh, let's, you know, remember Kevin for the great times that he brought to the Cavaliers for the great guy that he was, the, the great things that he's done for the city. Um, but maybe it's going to be best for him and best for us. if We move on. And I kind of now with everything that's happened this year, I think that's kind of the best way that this is going to end. But there's no guarantee it ends that way, because um, like you said, the contract's difficult. Think about something. 
think about how you feel, right? And how difficult it is for you because you can see both sides of it. Yeah. Now think about the Cavs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I, I absolutely. You absolutely. want to know why it's so difficult? Absolutely. That. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. I mean, the day after Kevin's outburst, I was told that he had a conversation with one member of the organization that was like the best conversation that they've ever had between each other. Right? Okay. That was less than 24 hours after it happened. And that's, again, what makes it so complicated. Right. It's also what makes it so frustrating. Right. But I guess that's life. I guess that's yes. life. I guess, you know, with the bad moments come the good moments and good things yep. come out of bad situations. And that's it's just life. hard because it's like, how can somebody who can be such a great dude, right? right? Somebody who can be such an asset, somebody who can do so many great things both on and off the court. How is it that that guy can also have those moments where you're just like, what the bleep are you doing? Because he's human. Exactly. Because he's human, and we are we all we are all human. I mean, you know, not one of us, not one of us among us is uh, without our flaws, without our mistakes, without our um, lapses in judgment. So, um, I so yeah, that's why that's why the whole thing is so difficult. You're right. You're absolutely right. And it's again, it goes back to just, I mean, what you know, what Kevin, the great things that Kevin brings, and and him being in a generally great dude, and it's just like. If they could, if they, if it was without, I mean, honestly, if we're talking without a couple of moments, I mean, it would pretty much be he's been a really stand-up, you know, great asset for the Cavaliers. And, um, but but for whatever reason, because of you know, because that's how the media is, and that's how we do things, and that's how people like to consume things. That the the bad moments tend to kind of outshine the good ones in a lot of ways. So, and again, they're they're bad moments, but like. In the grand scheme of life, they're 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 temporary frustrational issue. Like, it's not like he's doing anything that, again, that you know, it draws detriment and makes embarrasses the organization on a you know on a on the world front or anything like that. So I it is it doesn't look good. And I get it, but I think sometimes we, um, I think sometimes we all just you know see a moment that's out of the ordinary and, and just are like, wow, that that's. You know, and we kind of do tend to forget about the big moments, but you can't you you can't forget about those small moments either. So, again, it's just like one. It's 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 you are again. It's devil <laughs> on the uh, devil on one shoulder, yeah. angel on the other. <laughs> now be the Cavs, and you make the decision on what to do with Kevin Love. No, no. <laughs> That's Kobe's job. That's why he gets paid millions. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. So Kobe can make those, or the Cavaliers as a whole, or Dan Gilbert or whoever. By the way, I saw Nick Gilbert at the NFL or at the NBA draft, so it was good to see him in uh, or excuse me, NFL draft. Yes, saw him there. So um, good kid, glad to see him out and about and uh, on what was a very cold and dark, damp night. <laughs> but good to see him, anyways. All right, thank you so much for everyone for joining us. Like I said, go check out the Cleveland.com/slash/Cavs page. Go check out Chris's subtext. Um, I better get out of here or else I'm going to be debating with myself about Kevin Love for the next two and a half hours. <laughs> you could, I could easily make it happen. Um, it's just, it is such a polarizing thing. So thank you everyone. Um, we will talk soon. And again, thank you for sticking with us. It's been a little bit of time between podcasts, but, um, when the NFL draft comes to town, that's a pretty big deal. And the Cavaliers have been on the road and, and Chris has been writing all of this great stuff about, um, the situation with the Cavs going on. So we appreciate you. We appreciate you staying with us. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day. Day and we will talk soon. Thank you. Take care.